Thanks for listening to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. We upload new episodes every Monday and Friday. Be sure to listen to Uncaged Voice on Twitch or YouTube and listen to the Red Pill Current News Podcast on all major audio platforms every Wednesday and Saturday for current news and special interviews. Here are your hosts, Donny Cage and the Kentucky Guy. All right, and welcome to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, the Kentucky Guy. Along with Donnie Cage. Hey, buddy, how's it going on this beautiful Saturday morning? Uh, Well, it may be beautiful where you are, Kentucky Guy. It is pretty gloomy here in Philadelphia, but I'll take what I can get. Yeah, I tell you, we've had some strange weather. It's been, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, and uh, it's a little bit cooler out today, but still the sun's shining and... uh, you know, I just, I can't wait for summer. Cannot wait. Likewise. All right, folks. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks. So if this is your first time listening, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button. We're on 73 different audio platforms, including Spotify, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and the list goes on. Also, Donnie Cage, he co-hosts another podcast. Go ahead and tell him about Uncaged Voice, sir. Yes, if you were into gaming, uh, movies, comic books, anything entertainment-related, including the occasional discussion of uh, pro wrestling, check out the Uncaged Voice podcast on our official YouTube channel. It is myself, Jigsaw Jester, and Top Tier Rated who co-host this podcast. Yeah, fantastic podcast there if you get a chance to check it out. Also, I do host uh, the Red Pill Current News podcast, and basically there we talk about politics, up-to-date news, current events, we also have interviews with uh, several different people in different fields of the world to try to mix things up. And we drop new episodes there every Wednesday and Saturday. Also right here, we drop new episodes normally every Monday and Friday. Sometimes we run a, a day late because things happen. It's a part of life, right? So we understand that. Uh, also, if you'd ever like to be a guest on this show or have any questions for Donnie or myself, you can always email us at Kentucky. 99 at yahoo.com. That's old Kentucky 99 at yahoo.com. All right, folks. Also, the merch shop and all the links to our social media. Social media is in the uh, bottom uh, in the description part of the uh, description of the podcast. Now, we'll start off this episode like we do most of them with my fantasy booking. This basically, this segment of the show is where Donnie picks a wrestler. Or tag team. I pick a wrestler or tag team. And we talk about if we were their booker in the company that they didn't get as much value out of as they could have, how we would have rebooked their career or matches to give them that extra push in the wrestling business. Also, if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we talk about wrestling, pro wrestling, past, present, and future as well, as well as superstars. So uh, as always, sir, I'll let you start off this segment of my fantasy booking. 
Thank you, Kentucky guy. Well, we're going to go back to the, uh, we'll start off going back to the early 90s for, for my pick this week. He was actually, this guy was actually one of my favorite wrestlers in WCW at one point. And he had a lot of success there. But of course, as uh, it's the tale uh, as old as time, when certain wrestlers jump over to another rival promotion, they don't always get the same star treatment that they get when they first earn a name for themselves. So my fantasy booking for the week is Mr. Mark Merrow, better known as Johnny B. Bad. Now he debuted, first of all, a little background on him. Before he got into professional wrestling, he won boxing's Golden Glove Award three years in a row. So this guy was already a proven athlete before he got into professional wrestling. He debuted with WCW in 1991. Initially, he was a heel, and he was managed by Theodore R. Long. But his gimmick started getting over with the fans really quick. And, I mean, I mean he, was, he was flamboyant. He wore these flashy, colorful outfits, a little bit of makeup on his face. He had, the, he had the boa around his neck. Eventually, he started breaking out the confetti gun that he would shoot into the crowd. But he was very over-the-top and flamboyant. His gimmick kind of reminds you a little bit of Dalton Castle today. But, um, he, was, it, but he was a great wrestler. Had a lot of athleticism. Oh, and he incorporated his boxing background into his move set as well. He often would use the knockout punch, or he'd do that really awesome sunset flip off the top rope where he would pin people. He had feuds with guys like Diamond Dallas Page, Brian Pillman, Lex Luger, Steve Austin, uh, Lord Steven Regal, just to name a few people. He was always pushed in the upper mid-card, and he was a three-time, three-time world television champion in WCW. In early 96, he started having creative differences with the company, and he ended up jumping ship and signing a contract with the World Wrestling Federation. Actually made his on-camera debut in a backstage interview at WrestleMania 12, where he started off his feud with Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H. He was paired up with his real-life wife, Rena Marrow, who, of course, competed as Sable in WWE, and his initial gimmick was that of wild man Mark Marrow. Because of copyright issues, he couldn't use the Johnny B. Bad character in the WWE. And I think in many ways, this is where things started to go south for him. Because I personally, I always loved the wrestler. But I didn't understand the wild man gimmick. What exactly made him a wild man? I mean, he had his valet who wore these tight leather outfits and carried a whip around with her. And he kind of had like this jungle-themed attire that he would come out to. I don't know. I, I never really got the gimmick, but I still was always behind Mark Merrow and wanted to see him succeed in the WWF. He only ended up winning the Intercontinental title one time in his career, and he only held it for a little over a month before he dropped it to, to Triple H in a singles match. He was injured in early 1997, and he was on the shelf for about six or seven months. When he came back, WWE decided we need to, we need to give him a fresh look, new character, they made him Marvelous Mark Merrow, which was a play off of his boxing background. I thought this was a brilliant idea because it was completely different from what he was doing in WCW when he was Johnny B. Bad. But the problem was the gimmick just wasn't getting over. I mean, he was sort of getting heat from the crowd, but it was at this point they started put, putting all the focus on Sable. And to be perfectly honest, besides her being easy on the eyes, looking back in retrospect, Sable was never really that talented. 
She wasn't good at cutting promos. She really wasn't a great wrestler. But because the fans loved the way she looked, she got over. And she she and Mark Merrow eventually split up in storyline. They were still married in real life at the time. But Mark Merrow never recovered from this. He was never pushed as a serious contender, even for, like, the Intercontinental or European Championship. He just was an afterthought. And this was just a major, major slap in the face to a guy who was tremendously talented and absolutely could have been used better in his WWF career. It's not even really worth talking about what else he did because he was just made into an embarrassment for the most part from this point on. He didn't do anything when the Brawl for All tournament was going on. He had a brief feud with tough man fighter Butterbean. But by end of 98, he was pretty much forgotten about by the company. So... Huge missed opportunity. It's very unfortunate. And Kentucky guy, I just want to get your thoughts now. I'll turn it over to you. Okay, so before uh, before we go on, I didn't know that he was married to Sable in real life. Uh, so did Brock Lesnar take her away from him? or? As I understand it, um, the two of them were still married when she and Brock Lesnar started seeing each other. So, yeah, it, was, uh, it started out as an extramarital affair. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, I know there was a bunch of rumors about Sable uh, back when she was with the WWE and different wrestlers and even Vince McMahon at one time. But uh, in the storyline, how they split those two up and her actually uh, him becoming over-possessive and uh, jealous and that was the storyline, maybe uh, that had something to do with her life. I don't know. Mark Merrill, I... To be honest with you, I don't remember Johnny to be bad. Uh, I don't know why. I, I guess it might have. Uh, I know I was watching wrestling back then, but I don't remember him like sticking out in my mind. I remember Mark Merrill, uh, the uh, boxer gimmick that they had with Sable when he was with the WWE. But Johnny be bad. I just I can't place it. I remember Jimmy Garvin and Ronnie Garvin, and I think uh, maybe they had a match with him at one time, but I. I don't really have a whole lot of an opinion on this guy. I don't, I don't really know him. I was never truly a fan, but as if I put myself in his shoes, it doesn't sound like they gave him a whole lot to work with. Like you said. So I definitely agree. Uh, they could have done things a lot different. And, uh, you know, I remember when all the folk, and maybe that's why I don't remember him so much because, and I remember him in the WWE because as you mentioned, Sable was pushed more than he was. Uh, a whole lot more. Her, the storyline was completely about her and him being jealous of her, trying to keep her covered up and all that. And then they finally split up. I think she actually beat him in a match, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, anyways, yeah, there was a, if he was that popular in the WCW as Johnny B. Bad, and then he was brought over, it sounded like they dropped the ball like they do so many times. So, yeah, good one, man. Good one. All right, so let's get to my fantasy booking this week. My fantasy booking is none other than Kevin Francis Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan is probably what we all know him by, one of the faces of fears. Uh, very, very talented, talented wrestler. Uh, he was a professional wrestler and a booker, of course. Uh, best known, I think, to all of us in when he wrestled in WCW. Uh, he made it people such as uh, the Giant, the Warrior, 
Uh, it was just, he was phenomenal in his factions that he put together. He started his amateur wrestling career in Boston, and uh, he was never trained professionally. His first professional match was in Montreal, where he beat Fernando Franchitti. And CFW, his biggest rivals during this time as a young wrestler, was none other than the great Dusty Rhodes, Barry Windham, his former partner, Mike Graham. Sullivan was the top heel in ICW when the company went, first went national and had feuds with Austin Idol, superstar Billy Graham, Bruiser Brody, Blackjack Mulligan, and the list goes on. So, needless to say, the reason why I'm talking to him, talking about him this episode, is because he wrestled in 15 different organizations, only really known for WCW. He was a 10-time tag team champion in 10 different, 10 of those organizations. And a six-time heavyweight champion, and a five-time United States champion, all on separate individual shows and promotions. And he's in two Hall of Fames, the NWA Hall of Fame and the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. So what's missing from this illustrious career? He never was offered a contract and never joined. He never joined. The WWF, ever. Crazy, crazy. So he did an interview when I, when I was uh, researching him. And here's, a, here's an inter interview question that he actually answered. Were there any talk of you joining WWF? It seems like with your gimmick, you'd have been a natural there, right? Because he was a great heel. So here's what happened. Quote, this is from Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, there were a few times. One time. I was going to go, but when I had a conversation on the phone, Florida Championship Wrestling offered me $50 more per week than they uh, ever offered anyone. And then later on, I was talking to Vince McMahon. We had talked about coming in with The Undertaker. Then they did that angle the next night. So I said, huh, I guess not. Then another time, I was supposed to go up on a Monday or Tuesday, but I had just opened a piece of property that I cost almost $500,000 in the Florida Keys. I was grateful, but I couldn't go. When was the last offer made? Oh, shoot, probably 10 or 12 years ago. But I'm happy with my life and how it turned out. So I guess there was talk at one time. Could you imagine Kevin Sullivan with The Undertaker? Oh, my goodness, that would have been gold. Don't get me wrong. Both these guys went on to have impeccable careers, but to bring those two together, Kevin was known as the face of fear on WCW, and he was a nightmare. I mean, he was evil. But to tie that character with the young Undertaker would have been something else. And I think, I think they'd rushed the gun, and they dropped the ball there. Even if they brought him in by himself during that time with everything going on, and then you had Mankind, you had Kane, and you add Kevin Sullivan to that mix, it's only going to make things better for your company. So I think WWF, they dropped the ball here majorly. And for not giving this guy an explanation, I can see why. And the second time they offered him, why he just bought that property and didn't go, phew, I don't blame him. 
you're going to talk to me about coming in with a major star like Mark Merrill as the Undertaker, and then uh, no, Mark Merrill, sorry, <laughs> mean Mark, uh, bring him in and talk to me about it. And then the next night, I'm going to see him on TV, and you never even mentioned to me why I'm not there or gave me any answer whatsoever. Yeah, I'm going to turn you down, of course. Any human is. He doesn't say that in the interview, but let's be honest, we're all human. But uh, yeah, your thoughts, sir. I think it's a good pick, and I actually, I had no idea personally that Kevin Sullivan had ever had any talks with the WWF. Uh, this is the first time I'm hearing that story about him being brought in potentially as the Undertaker's manager. That would have been really interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, the Undertaker's chemistry with Paul Bearer is legendary now, but yeah, Undertaker paired up with Kevin Sullivan would have been really interesting. And, you know, this brings up another interesting point. By 1998-99, speaking of The Undertaker, um, Kevin Sullivan wasn't being used on screen in WCW anymore. He was strictly a member of the booking team, if I remember right. What if in 1999, instead of doing the whole, it's me, Austin, I'm the higher power, they had made Kevin Sullivan the higher power? That would have been an interesting take on the character, because even though he had never been on WWF TV, he was a pretty well-known figure in wrestling in general, especially from all the Dungeon of Doom stuff that he had done in WCW. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there would have been plenty of times that they could have utilized Kevin Sullivan um, in different capacities. Uh, yeah, the, the road not taken, I guess. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, the corporate ministry, I mean, there's all kind. I mean, phew, with the minions... <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is uh, it is undeniable uh, how many times they could have used him. Okay, folks, so we're going to get into the wrestling news and rumors. Uh, first thing, though, before we get into this, I want to discuss something that I've seen quite a bit online, and I want to put an end to this story because it's fake. It's not true, okay? So during NXT match, the the female champion, Roxanne Perez, collapsed after the match after retaining her title on Tuesday. She is she was taken for observation and she's already out of the hospital. She's okay. All right. There is a gentleman on YouTube going around. I've seen two of them so far saying that this young lady who's 21 years old passed away. This is not true. She is home. I have it on 100% authority. She is home. She did collapse, exhaustion, what have you. I don't know the, the medical uh, term they used on her, but she did not. I mean, she's, she's alive. So please, please, please be careful what you listen to on social media because there's so many trolls out there, and I don't know why they would share anything like that without doing proper research because as soon as I heard it, I couldn't believe it, and it took me, oh, I don't know, three minutes to find out that it was false. So be careful what you, re what you repeat off social media and be careful what you believe. Any thoughts on that, sir, before we move on? Well, first of all, I heard about the, the angle that happened after her title defense the other night, which a lot of people were speculating that her getting taken to the hospital was a part of the storyline and WWE reporting she's home recovering and this might be storyline related. Now she might've suffered a legit, um, 
concussion or something like that, but it wasn't like there wasn't any like long-term damage as I understand. This is the first I've heard about somebody spreading this rumor that she passed away. Um, People who want to spread these kind of rumors really need to get a life as far as I'm concerned, and they need to stop spreading these false rumors and making people think, oh, this person passed away, and this... I, 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 there have been other wrestlers over the years uh, who have been rumored to have passed away, and then you, you do a little digging, and you find out, no, this person's alive and and well. So yeah, just st- stop doing that. It's it's a very it's very toxic behavior. Yeah, and I, I understand. I can kind of understand why the fans would believe it when hearing something like that. Because let's be honest. Uh, there are athletes I've never seen anything like it the last two years that are are collapsing and and passing away. Uh, young people, I mean, it's happening. It seems like ever since uh, uh, the COVID vaccine. I'm not going to get into that, but anyways, that is happening a lot, a lot. So I can understand fans believing it. But what I'm saying is, do some research, guys, before you believe something like that. Before you get all upset and everything, do some research. Just make sure. Like I said, it took me three minutes to find out that that wasn't true. Bring up a couple of different internet browsers and go at it. Doesn't take that long. Okay, so on a happier note, let's go over some dynamite results before we get into the first headline. All right, so we had the T. Oh, ho, ho, this was this was odd, very odd. So we had the TNT Championship match. Warlow, who just won the title, by the way. Uh, went up against, defended his title against Powerhouse Hobbs. Before the match, Warlow was in an interview backstage, and he said that someone broke into his car, stole the title, and stole all of his clothes. And he actually had to borrow his clothes from friends in order to wear to the to the studio or to the stadium. And to all of our surprise, Powerhouse Hobbs is your new TNT champion. I don't understand this. I know QT joined him and they're building a new faction and what have you. And he's the one that supposedly broke into Warlow's car and he had the TNT title with them and hit Warlow with it and what have you. But I don't understand the angle on this unless they're just going to have an all in all out feud with Warlow against QT's new faction. I really don't get the concept of this whatsoever. Not when not losing your title the next week, or it's not even been it's not even been a week since he won the title, and yeah, he's two time TNT champion, but it, it just I don't understand the storyline. I guess so. Your thoughts on that one? This is my problem with the TNT title picture, Kentucky guy, is that they keep changing the title every couple of months, or in this case, well, let, this guy just won it at uh, Revolution, so. Logic dictates that he should lose it within three days. No, um, it's not so much that I have an issue with Powerhouse Hobbs getting the belt. It helps to put a fresh face in the title picture. But at the same time, you just built Wardlow up as this guy who conquered Samoa Joe at Revolution. And now he loses the title within three days. And it kind of just makes him look like a goof, to be perfectly honest. Um... It would have made more sense to just have Powerhouse Hobbs beat Samoa Joe. That way, could have served two purposes. You could have had Powerhouse Hobbs be your new champion, and you could have written Samoa Joe off of AEW television by having him take like a crazy bump off the stage. 
That way he could just go and focus on defending the ROH Ring, uh, the Ring of Honor Television Championship. Um, I, I don't know where this new faction is going to go with QT Marshall. Again, I'm indifferent to Powerhouse Hobbs being the new TNT champion. This this kills any momentum that Wardlow had coming out of Sunday. So I don't know what the future holds for him. Yeah, and uh, it just, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. It just doesn't make any sense. And uh, another match that didn't make any sense, we had the All-Atlantic Championship match. Orange Cassidy defended his belt against Jay Lethal, and they had Orange Cassidy beat Jay Lethal fair and square. No interruption, no distraction. I really, really despise this match. And here's something else that's that's kind of odd, is now... Next Dynamite on Wednesday, Orange Cassidy will be defending his belt against Jeff Jarrett, and it will no longer be the All-Atlantic Championship belt. It will be the International Championship belt. So, And I know that Tony Khan's been wanting to change the name for a while. I just don't understand. I, I just, and I say this seems like every episode. I do not understand the push on this Orange Punch. This freak. I, I, I just don't get it. Any countered? The uh, lethal injection, come on. I mean, if they let this guy, if the Jeff Jarrett puts this guy over on Wednesday, and I, I'm going to be truly ticked off. Your thoughts? Well, Kentucky guy, uh, the, the unfortunate thing that I'm seeing on television right now is that it seems to me like Jay Lethal has been brought in mostly to put people over. And Jeff, Je- Jeff Jarrett, especially with it being at this point in his career, probably being set up to do the same thing um and you know i don't know i mean i i I preferred personally when you had a guy like pack as your all-atlantic or international champion because he was more serious competitor Uh, you know it's remains to be seen what's going to happen as far as the future of this belt goes but i wouldn't bank on jeff jarrett winning the title now they might surprise us Tony Khan could 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 uh, could pull a fast one, and Jeff Jarrett's your new AEW International Champion. But uh, I wouldn't bank on it at this point in time. Why bring him there then? Why pay him all this money just to lose? You know, Jeff Jarrett doesn't come cheap. I've listened to way too many of his podcasts uh, over the last couple years, and him talking about how he was in it for the money. So I know he's not working. Uh, peanuts in AEW, so why pay him this money? Bring him in. I don't care if he's on a six-month contract. Bring him in just to lose. It doesn't make any sense. I thought for sure these two were going to be the tag team champions. Now they're wrestling in single competition for titles. It just, I don't get it. I don't I don't know. Alright, so next match, we'll talk about the last couple matches here, and then we'll uh, get your take on them. AR Fox and Top Flight uh, versus uh, Jericho Society, Chris Jericho, uh, Daniel Garcia, and Sammy Guevara. Uh, winners, the Jericho Appreciation Society. That was the right one to win. Uh, once again, though, you got, <laughs> you got these three, AR Fox and Top Flight. It seems like uh, it seems like they're getting some experience underneath their belt. Let's put it that way. They're not winning a whole lot, but these guys look pretty good together. Uh, our AR Fox fits right in with the uh, the Martin brothers, so not 
not totally unimpressed with these with this trio. Kind of like we'll see what they're doing, and uh, who knows, one day. And then we had uh, Sky Blue versus the New Hill, Ruby Solo winner, Ruby Solo. And then on the last match, we had the Dark Order, which was Alex Reynolds and John Silver versus the uh, Blackpool Combat Club, Claudio and John Moxley, who I guess is not taking any days off. Doesn't look like he's taking a break at all, which is, I thought for sure he would after that Adam Page match. Before this match, Adam Page was backstage with Renee, which, who is Moxley's real-life wife, and he said, as far as he's concerned, it's over. However, John Moxley was taken out, taking, uh, taking this guy out, John Silver, in a uh, submission move and kept it on after the match. Dark Order came out, and Adam Page came out, and those two went at it again. So I think that that this feud should be over with, with Adam Page and John Moxley. I think it should be, you know, put a bow on and be done, but it doesn't look like AEW feels the same way. So I don't know. Your thoughts on those matches, sir? Uh, AR Fox and the, and the and top flight are definitely showing a lot of potential. I mean, they're, 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 all three of them are young. They're still green. They've got some growing to do, but, but you know, they didn't look weak in defeat. I absolutely agree in this case that the Jericho Appreciation Society, it was a no-brainer, booked them to win this match, put them in the running for a trio's title shot. You need some strong challengers for the House of Black. Um, Ruby Soho winning also doesn't surprise me. I mean, Sky Blue's a, a young talent. She's a new face. I mean, she's not going to be scoring any big wins anytime soon. Um, I'm, I'm really puzzled uh, as to what's going on with the Blackpool combat club at this point because i like you thought that the feud between adam page and john moxley was over i don't think there's anything else you can do to top the texas death match so why not just split these two guys up in different storylines now i don't know why this is continuing so it almost looks like they're teasing a heel turn for john moxley also which he's pretty over with the crowd i don't understand the reason for a heel turn so yeah, I thought I thought that match at Revolution was the end of it, but apparently it's continuing, and I, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, I agree with almost everything you said. The only thing I disagree with is Moxley is one of those wrestlers. He kind of he's kind of like a Chris Jericho, kind of like a Kevin Owens. It doesn't matter if he's a face or a heel; the crowd still loves him. So I think uh, if they do make him into a heel. You know, I think that, uh, I think you're onto something there. I think that him and Claudio may both become heels and they may turn on Yuta Wheeler because Yuta Wheeler didn't want involved in any of that until the very end. And then he did get in and help his brothers out. So that may be sooner or later, you got to split this club up. You've got to or change their name or something. This doesn't make any sense. Okay, so let's get on to the uh, first headline. Here we go. Roman Reigns and John Cena are underdogs heading into WrestleMania 39. Roman Reigns and John Cena are actually the betting underdogs heading into WrestleMania 39 next month. It's hard to believe that two of the most decorated WWE superstars of the last 20 years are both expected to lose on WWE's biggest show, but it's what the bet online has with 
its latest betting odds for April uh, first through second event. Cody Rhodes is currently favored to win the undisputed uh, championship from Reigns with a one to five odds. Wow! While Austin Theory is expected to retain his U.S. championship with a one to four odds, kind of shocking too. Uh, in fact, Theory is the only reigning champion at, uh, with a match at WrestleMania who's currently favored to retain. Gunther will find out who he's defending the Intercontinental Championship against on Friday. It's rumored, it's rumored to be Sheamus and Drew McIntyre in a triple threat match. And the unified tag team champions, the Usos, still don't have a match on the show, though it will likely be against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Maybe they're running out of time with that, by the way. So we'll see. But anyways, I thought, uh, when I read this, I thought, wow, you know, somebody may win a lot of money if they bet for Roman Reigns <laughs> instead of Cody Rhodes, because you never know. Uh, that's why, I mean, I don't bet anyways, but I definitely wouldn't bet on wrestling. I would do much safer back when I was, when I did do that junk. It was always on football or something easier. But wrestling, I mean, man, oh, man, you never know because they don't let that stuff leak. So that's just crazy. Your thoughts, sir, on that headline? Well, historically, John Cena and Roman Reigns both have great records at WrestleMania. So the smart money will tell you never count either one of them out. Um, as far as who I think would be like, likelier to win, I would probably say it's more likely that the Tribal Chief would retain his title, even though I'm 100% pulling for Cody Rhodes. I think, it, I think it's time to make someone new the champion. The Tribal Chief has had a historic reign. Um, the, I mean, the biggest in modern history. Um, but as far as John Cena versus Austin Theory, I mean, Austin Theory needs this win at WrestleMania. John Cena has already cemented his legacy. He does not need a win over Austin Theory. It would certainly be shocking. And like I said, Cena has a very good record at WrestleMania. But again, does he really need the win or does he need to put over the future? Somebody who many people say is going to be a future world champion someday. I, I would still say the likelihood of Cena winning is very slim. Um, even though I think it's going to be a close, it's going to be a close one. It's going to be a nail biter for sure. Uh, you know, Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns isn't as much of a sure thing. It's kind of a 50-50 even split right now, in my opinion. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, it's, it's you know, these two matches here, they've done a good job building them up. By the way, the John Cena and Austin Theory match, and we'll go over the Raw results here in just a moment, that's a definite match now. That's happening. There's no more speculation or wondering. That's That's in stone now. That's happening. The uh, these two buildups for these matches, I think they've done a really good job. The problem is they're not building any other matches up. Not really. I mean, you got Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. For those of you that watch SmackDown already, you know they're they're kind of building theirs up a little bit. Which Charlotte Flair seems odd in her. I think that's the worst promo I've seen her do. She seems shook or something. I don't know. But anyways, they're doing a good job in building these two matches up. But, man, they're leaving a lot of stuff, I guess you could say, on the table with other matches that uh, they're running out of time. And we'll talk more about that as this episode goes on. But they're, they're, you've got three weeks. Three weeks. They're running out of time 
on building up any kind of uh, Usos tag team title match or, or uh, you know, Bobby Lashley and, and Way, uh, Bray Wyatt. They're, they're running out of time here. And it was kind of SmackDown. I've already watched it. It was very disappointing. So did you have something you want to throw in there? No, no, I just, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, we other than the Sami Zayn Usos feud, the, you know, a lot of these matches have not had a lot of buildup. All right, so uh, you've got the next two headlines. PW Insider has a story up on what Fightful reported in regard to Brock Lesnar declining to wrestle Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania 39. The story confirms that Bray Wyatt versus Lesnar was planned for Mania, but on the day of the Elimination Chamber show, plans changed, likely due to Lesnar's request that the and the finish of his match with Bobby Lashley was changed to a disqualification. <laughs> Brock was originally booked to go over on Lashley at the Chamber show. PW Insider also noted that Lesnar was saying farewell to some people and said that he was finishing up. It was not said what finishing up meant. A source noted that Lesnar was not necessarily done on that night or even at WrestleMania. Remains to be seen if that means Brock is going to be hanging up the boots for good or if he will be taking another extended break. WWE is scheduled to go back to Saudi Arabia in May, so one would think that Brock might appear on that show since it would mean a massive payday for him. So, I said this before on a previous episode that I would have much preferred Brock Lesnar versus Bray Wyatt at Mania versus instead of Bobby Lashley versus Bray Wyatt. Or I would have just preferred seeing a triple threat between all three of those guys. Because if you're going to end the Elimination Chamber match between Lesnar and Lashley without a definitive winner, what are we supposed to think? Um, I mean, there's got to be somebody who goes over in that feud. And Bray Wyatt, you just never know what to expect from him. I mean, the last couple of manias that he appeared at, WrestleMania 36, the pandemic edition, as we call it, had that really interesting Firefly uh, Funhouse segment with him and John Cena. And then WrestleMania 37, we, of course, had that horrific match with Randy Orton, which had one of the most confusing endings in WrestleMania history involving Alexa Bliss. So this is kind of like an opportunity for Bray to vindicate himself. He absolutely needs to go over in this match against Lashley, but I just can't help but think how much more interesting a feud between him and Lesnar would have been versus him and Lashley. Now, I read somewhere that Brock Lesnar wouldn't wrestle Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. I don't, I haven't dug into it, but I did read that somewhere, and it, it was an article that came up several different places, not just one place. So there's got to be a little bit of uh, fire behind it. Not sure the whole details. I'll find out. But uh, there was something, something reason why they had to change plans in, in the way the, the reason why the Elimination Chamber actually ended with Bobby Lashley and Bray, uh, Brock Lesnar the way it did was because Brock Lesnar refused to wrestle Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. I haven't got all the details, but I do know that gift of it. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that they're, uh, I kind of think they're botching the Spray Wyatt thing, man. Just to be honest with you, since we're talking about it, I, I think they're botching it. Uh, he wasn't on SmackDown. Uncle Howdy wasn't on SmackDown. And they really, you know, how many vignettes can you, can you watch and still stay hyped up about a character? So I think they're, they're losing it. 
they're losing me anyway. So that's just my thought. Okay, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, they're probably operating under the whole, well, less is more. Like, if we show them less, it'll have more impact. But I'm kind of with you right now. I, I just, like, want to see the storyline go somewhere. And I feel like they're just spinning their wheels right now. So I'm hoping that there's some sort of big angle that they do at WrestleMania 39. Because Bray Wyatt needs to get back into the spotlight. or Otherwise, the fans are going to get wrestled. Yeah, I mean, well, is he just going to wrestle house shows and pay-per-views now or, or what i mean that was his whole thing that's why we fell in love with the uh, the fiend and the bray white character was because he was he was always in a match always wrestling or walking out to the ring with one of the guys of his factions getting ready to wrestle as either singles competitor or tag team so that's why we got to see him so much and liked him so much so yeah all right sir you have the next headline On the latest Foley is Pod on adfreeshows.com, WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley talked about the life and career of the late Paul Bearer. Foley talked about what CM Punk's thoughts were fighting The Undertaker at WrestleMania at WrestleMania 29. I was pretty tight with Punk at that point. He was having a hard time getting excited for that match with The Undertaker because it wasn't the main event. I told him, I said, Phil, you decide what the main event is. The fans decide. I think that Edge and I had, had the right to say we had the match of the night in 2006, and by no means, way, shape, or form were we advertised as the main event. You go out there and try to steal the show. In wrestling and in life, I think we, and if I'm getting in the DDP area, cut me off immediately, if not sooner, but I think in life we do get to decide what our own great moments are. So I think, you know, if Phil had been able to do that, I think he would have been happier and would still be on national TV. That was the way I looked at things. I was proud to be Mr. In Your House, you know, like, you know, like I'm with the the number one name in secondary pay-per-views. And if I'm okay with that, then I think Punk should have been okay with having what could have been the match of the night. And several people thought it was at that mania against uh, The Undertaker, and he wasn't. And that's a shame. So I think that's a cautionary tale there. A person who's going into the Hall of Fame this year asked Mick Foley to induct. I received a text from someone I'd had no contact with in a while, years and years asking if I would induct them into the Hall of Fame. There's always a chance that request will be denied, but I know this person responded back to WWE that I was in. As of this moment, I'm counting on being there at the Hall of Fame to induct this person. So, a couple of different stories there. First of all, Mick Foley brings up a really good point, that regardless of whether you are advertised as the main event or not, your job is to go out and captivate that audience every single night. And I remember WrestleMania 29... Punk versus Undertaker was said to be the match of the night, even though Rock Cena 2 was advertised as the main event. Everybody said the Undertaker-CM Punk match was the match of the night. I remember when Mick Foley had that match with Edge at WrestleMania 22. That hardcore match stole the show. It was amazing. It definitely captivated the audience. So you've got to go out there and just perform as best you can each and every night. And then as far as who Mick Foley's inducting into the Hall of Fame, Oof, I, I don't know, to be perfectly honest. Um, I mean, he had a lot of legendary rivalries in his career, so it has to be someone that he's closely tied to. And, you know, somebody who's still around, you know, not a deceased wrestler or anything like that. I, I don't know, Kentucky guy, your thoughts? Boy, that's interesting. You know, uh, everyone that comes to my mind's already been inducted. The Undertaker. Oh, uh, no. Has, has Kane ever been inducted in the Hall of Fame? 
Yeah, he was. I think he was inducted. I think it was two years ago. He was okay. Inducted. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, interesting. And you're right. The Undertaker CM Punk match was the show stopper uh, during that WrestleMania. I remember the, uh, I don't know if it was because it was, a, I don't know if it was because of rematch with The Rock and Cena uh, because we just seen it the year before, but it was kind of stale. And uh, that was just a great match anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, as far as who he's inducting, I don't know. Uh, it could be any. It could be somebody that went from WCW when he was Cactus Jack and came to WWE afterwards. Uh, after they bought out WCW, there's so many people it could possibly be, and then yet that list should be smaller. I know he teamed with The Rock, and he teamed with Austin. Uh, I don't know. Did you have anything to add to that? Now I'm still I'm still wondering who who it is that he's uh that yeah, he's talking interesting. about. Interesting. Okay, so let's go over the raw results before I get into the next headline. Uh so Kevin Owens uh actually faced Solo Sequoia in a match, and it's was Solo's first ever loss on the main roster. However, it was a loss due to DQ because Jimmy uh Jimmy Uso slammed Owens into the ring steps. Sequoia uh cleared the announce table. And they were pounding on Owens and getting ready to fly from the barricade on the Owens. But who shows up? Sammy Zayn. Sammy Zayn appears and he attacks Jimmy and Sokoa. Owen picks up a chair and they take off running out of the ring. Then Zayn reached out his hand to help Owens up. But Owens left the ring. In the back, they had a promo where the two talked again. And Owens pretty much turned down Sammy Zayn once again. He said he did not want to team with them. Before I get to your thoughts on that, let's go to the next thing that happened real quick. The Miz, now, he moderates a face-to-face between Seth Rollins and Logan Paul. Uh, He said he wants to fight Rollins tonight, but not tonight. Paul says he doesn't fight for free because... (laughs) Can't stand this guy. Because he's a premium act. He said he would fight him if the stage and the money was bigger. Miz, as the host of WrestleMania said he could make that happen at WrestleMania. Rollins told Miz to go make it happen as he threw him out of the ring, which I thought was classic. (laughs) Then Logan Paul attacks Rollins from behind, went for the curb stop, but Rollins moved away. Rollins started to punch Logan in the corner when when the Miz came back into the ring to pull Rollins off of him. Rollins gave Miz a super kick and then turned around and got punched in the face by uh, Paul, Logan Paul, knocking Rollins out. Paul told Rollins when he wakes up to let him know about WrestleMania. Now, I don't know uh, this one punch crap that they tried to do with any one punch. They tried to do the same thing with Roman Reigns. Guys, listen, Logan Paul, that's not your move. Your move is the buckshot lariat. You do it very, very well. This one punch, we've seen it. We've seen it with William Regal. We've seen it with the Big Show. Man, we don't need it. We don't need that. If you want to solidify yourself as a wrestler, you need to keep doing the buckshot lariat as your move. Call it something else. Call it the Paul lariat or the Paul, I don't know. Call it something else, but I'm telling you, that's your move. That's your finishing move. Not this any punch, any time, or just takes one punch crap. Your thoughts, sir, on those two segments? Well, I'm glad that they're still making Solo Sokoa look strong because even though he technically lost the match, it was disqualification. It wasn't pinfall or submission. Um, 
we've been talking about for weeks how we we want to see Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens reunite to take on the Usos. It's going to happen. They're just drawing it out. That's all they're doing. And I think it's going to be one of the best matches on the card this year. I cannot wait for it. You know, of course, considering their history and considering that Sami Zayn low-blowed them back at the War Games pay-per-view, of course Kevin Owens is not going to want to work with them. But they're going to both come to their senses, and and they're going to be a team once again to take on the Usos. Um, I can't wait for Seth Rollins to uh, completely embarrass Logan Paul on the WrestleMania stage. Uh, There's no question Logan Paul has proved a lot of his critics wrong with his in-ring ability. He does do an awesome buckshot lariat. I agree with you, Kentucky guy. I'm tired of wrestlers who want to use one punch as their finisher. This is wrestling. It's not real life. Yeah, you punch somebody hard enough in real life, you can knock them out. There's no question about it. Um, It doesn't need to take multiple punches. But in wrestling, it's all about suspension of disbelief, and it's about wrestlers taking a beating. So for a guy to use a punch as their finisher, unless you're a guy the size of the big show, I don't buy it. Uh, So... This is going to be a good match. There's no question about it. But uh, I, I definitely hope Seth Rollins uh, wins and can move on to bigger and better things. After yeah, this. Seth Rollins should always, in my opinion, should always be wrestling for a title, any title. He should always be competing for that title. Uh, let's see here. Then we had Omos versus Dolph Ziggler. Pretty much a squash match. Don't really understand the purpose of it since Brock Lesnar wasn't there. But uh, Omos won the match with these. Finn Balor faced uh, Johnny Gargano, and uh, Johnny Gargano actually won the match because Edge's involvement. Then backstage, uh, Edge said Baylor, uh, Finn Balor cost him a match last week that he should have lost, shouldn't have lost, and this week he cost Baylor a match that he shouldn't have lost. This is beginning to affect their careers. He told Baylor he is calling him out. Next week, he will be in the middle of the ring by himself, and let's see if he has the same stones. Now, something interesting that I want you guys to know for something we're going to talk about here in just a moment is during this segment, when they were talking to Edge backstage, if you notice and if you look real close, Kevin Owens is sitting on top of this cart in the back, and Cody Rhodes is chatting to Kevin Owens. And the reason why that's significant is when we're going to talk about it again when we come to our main event later later here in just a few minutes. So, But that's significant. If you haven't had a chance to see that or you didn't catch it, go back, rewind it, slow it down. I had to do it. <laughs> slow it down uh, to where you can see it. And we had Piper versus Nikki Cross. This was a rematch. Piper won this match. And then we've already talked about John Cena uh and theory at WrestleMania, that match is definite now. And uh yeah, sir, your uh your opinion on those two three things. Uh not too much of an opinion on the women's match. I mean, I think that Piper Niven is a better performer than uh, Nikki Cross, so I'm totally fine with her winning that match. Um almost squashing Dolph Ziggler, sure, whatever. Let's just get to the Lesnar match as far as I'm concerned. Um and in my personal opinion if you're building Almas to take on a star of the caliber of Brock Lesnar, you get to WrestleMania and he's not booked to win that match, you pretty much should just write off Almas completely because at that point he's had a shot against one of the biggest stars in the company for the last decade and he couldn't get the job done. So 
yeah, might as well just give him his release at that point. Um, yeah, Johnny Gargano, Finn Bauer, they, they had a great rivalry in NXT, so it's it's always fun to see see that renewed, even if it's just for one match. But, uh, I mean, yeah, they're building towards Finn Bauer versus Edge at, uh, at Mania, and it's got to be some sort of stipulation match, I would assume. Um, and this is pretty much going to close out that feud, finally. Um, they've already had a an I Quit match, so I'm kind of wondering what they're going to do here, if this is going to be like... Hell- some type of steel cage match Hell, or what they're going to yeah. break out at WrestleMania. Hell in a Cell, possibly. That's what I've heard. Um, and then, yeah, the segment with Cody and Kevin Owens. Well, it wasn't really a segment. It was more like a background segment. I did notice it, and, yeah, it definitely ties into a segment later in the show. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is more significant than people yeah. realize. And then we had uh, Baron Corbin, who wanted to become a male model. <laughs> That's about all he's good at these days. Uh, was uh, told to take out Chad Gable, and they would let him become a part of Maximum L Models. Well, he lost the match again, and Chad Gable actually was so happy. I was so afraid they weren't going to put Chad Gable over this joker, but they did, and, you know, there we go once again with Baron Corbin. Who knows what's going on with this guy? I mean, he's such a waste of space. It's not even funny. Becky Lynch and Lita came out. Lita introduced Trish Stratus. Bailey and uh, Damage Control then came out. They were all talking, what have you. And then, unexpectedly and surprising to me, Trish Stratus issues a challenge for a three-on-three match at WrestleMania, and Bailey accepts it. Now, Damage Control looked kind of upset at Bailey, but still, they helped her in the brawl against these three. So this shocked me because it was supposed to have been Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey. Well, I'd done some digging after Raw to find out what was going on because this, this threw me for a loop for a minute. Then come to find out, I knew that Ronda Rousey had her arm in a sling and she was injured, but her injury is significant enough. They don't think she's going to be ready for WrestleMania. So the wrestle, uh, the Ronda Rousey, Shayna Baylor versus, uh, Becky Lynch and Lita for the tag team titles is put on the shelf now. And I guess this six three-way dance is going to happen. Or not three-way dance, but this uh, three-on-three tag match is going to happen at WrestleMania instead. Very interesting. And then we have Sami Zayn versus Jimmy Uso. Sami Zayn did pick up the match, pick up the win. However, that's not the main story. After the match, Jey Uso got in the ring and hugged his brother. And then you could just see... And you talk about an amazing, amazing way to act. This guy has got acting down to a T. He struggled with the idea of turning on his brother, but he finally left the ring. And then he had a stare down with Sami Zayn in the aisle, and he hugged him. And he told Sami Zayn, I got you. I got your back. He raised his arm with the ones signifying the ones, and Sami did the same. And then, boom, it happened. Jay super kicked Sami Zayn, threw him in the ring. Sequoia entered the ring again, and all of them were beating on Sami Zayn until Cody Rhodes came down and ran in the ring for the save, and the other ones split. Now, why this is significant to the last thing we just talked about was because Cody Rhodes, in my opinion, I think he's going to be the one to bring Kevin over on board to finally team with Sami Zayn. Don't get me wrong, they're running out of time. It's got to happen next Raw. 
It's got to happen. But I, that's the way I see this playing out. Remember, Cody Rhodes is facing the Bloodlines tribal chief, the main guy. So, yeah, it'd only be smart for him to get these two to fight the Usos so they can't interfere in that match so he's got some backup. So I think it's significant that talk he was having with Kevin Owens. We'll see. And then we had Bianca Belair in a, a, a match I almost forgot about against Carmella. Of course, they were going to let the champion win. So, anyways, your thoughts on those, sir? Well, once again, I'll say what I said about Chad Gable before, that I can't wait until his contract expires and he can land himself in either Impact or Ring of Honor or New Japan, a place where his wrestling talents are going to be a little more um, appreciated because he's just being underutilized here right now. Um, I'm disappointed that the women's tag team titles are not going to be defended. Personally, I think you would have been better off having Becky Lynch and Lita defend against damage control and maybe put another team into the spot that was previously going to be occupied by Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey and then do that match up later down the line. Um, But instead, we've got a six-woman tag match. I'm sure it'll be good enough if they give it time, but I I don't know. What are the stakes in this match? I mean, okay, if damage control wins, yeah, it's a big victory over, over three legendary women's wrestlers, but they don't win anything other than just getting the victory on the WrestleMania stage. So the stakes aren't very high in my opinion. Um, and then, I mean, the um, sorry, Bianca Belair and Carmella. Yeah. I mean, Bianca's defending the raw title at a uh, mania. So she's got to rack up the wins and look strong for her match against Asuka. I'm actually going to shock you, Kentucky guy. I do think that Asuka is going to win at WrestleMania, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, and then uh, the main event segment with Sami Zayn, um, you know, I assumed that Jay was going to have to pick his family over his friendship with Sami Zayn at some point in time. Um, I think they did a good job drawing it out and keeping us guessing. But, uh, but I mean, at this point, it only makes sense because you have to have that animosity between Jay and Sami going into the match at WrestleMania. It's going to make it that much more dramatic. What do you think about what I said about Cody Rhodes? Based on the backstage segment that we saw with him and Kevin Owens um, and what and what you've been saying now, I think it makes a lot of sense because Cody needs more allies in his fight against the bloodline. He can't just go against them by himself. So if he's looking for backup in this uh, war, then what better way than to bring two guys in who have their own History yep, with yep, the yep, bloodline. Yep, I agree. All right, so let's uh, let me get the next headline here. Did John Cena go too far with his WWE Raw promo on Austin Theory? John Cena accepted Austin Theory's challenge for a WrestleMania 39 match during this week's Monday Night Raw, but there's quite a bit of uneasiness surrounding the match. Cena and intentionally rejected rejected initially rejected the united they spelled that wrong <laughs> the united states champions offer saying that theory wasn't ready for that kind of challenge and that he was stuck in his own ruthless aggression era where the fans didn't care enough about theory's on-screen persona because not even theory believes in his own words even theory's attempt attempts at punching back were fruitless as Cena called out WWE for piping <laughs> in fake crowd noises during his t- television matches. 
Cena went so far as to claim that Theory would lose everything regardless of their WrestleMania matches result. If he lost, he'd lose the United States Championship to a 45-year-old part-timer who hasn't held a title since 2017. And even if Theory won, Cena said, the post-WrestleMania crowd on Raw would eat him alive and he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't have to, he wouldn't have Cena to play it off of. This led to a notion among online wrestling fans that Cena may have buried Theory a little too hard <laughs> with his promo and that a WrestleMania victory might not be able to undo the damage for A-Town Down. I thought, I loved it. I did. I thought that was, I've always wanted to see John Cena as a heel, and I think that's the closest I've ever seen him as a heel. I I, I loved that segment. Uh, I loved the promo. I have no, I'm not a Theory fan, so maybe that's why. I have no problem with what he did there. Your thoughts, sir, on that headline. Oh, did John Cena upset the internet wrestling fans? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, he pulled back the veil a little bit and, um, you know, talked about what happens at post-WrestleMania and also talks about the fact that, quite honestly, I mean, even though I think Theory is very talented and has shown a lot of improvement in the last couple of months, let's face it, he's in the spot that he's in right now because Vince McMahon had picked him to be, like, the next guy. Now, I'm not saying he's not talented and that he doesn't deserve the United States Championship. He does. But there are a lot of people that are basically like, well, does Theory really deserve a WrestleMania match at, at, against John Cena at this point in his career? This is going to be a test for him. Can he step up and show that he can be a major player? Or is he going to crash and burn on the, big, on the biggest stage of them all? So I, I also enjoyed this segment, Kentucky Guy, and... If I were Theory, I wouldn't let this get to me. I would let it be even more motivation for me to show up at the top of my game and score this victory against the guy who's been the face of the company for a very long time. I would look at it as a challenge yep, and one yep. that I'm ready now, to Now, before accept. we get to your next two headlines, I want to discuss SmackDown a little bit. As I mentioned, we're, we're recording this on Saturday. So SmackDown's already happened. And the reason why is because we'll go ahead and uh, and talk about a couple. I thought I didn't think SmackDown was that great at all, so there's not worth talking the whole show about uh, talking about the whole show of SmackDown. But uh, Jay, Jay Uso did admit in the ring that he didn't want to do what he did, but Jimmy Uso was his brother, and of course he'd do anything uh, for his brother. They then turned on to the American Nightmare who actually showed up, took his jacket off, and looked like he was getting ready to go for a fight. Sami Zayn came out of the crowd and attacked Jimmy. And then Cody and Jay brawled into the crowd. And finally, uh, the ring in the ring, they stood together, Zayn and Rhodes, pushing out the Usos. So once again, there's Cody Rhodes coming into the mix, coming to the aid of Sami Zayn. It would have made more sense to me, to me, if Kevin Owens would have been there and did what, uh, what Cody Rhodes did, the only reason why I say that is because you got to start getting Rhodes on board or uh, Owens on board somewhere in this. Then we had the Viking Raiders, and they fought against Braun Strowman and Ricochet. Of course, the Viking Raiders won, but here's my issue with Braun Strowman and Ricochet. These guys have been tag team, a tag team for a little bit now. They've had quite a few... Some big name matches. Anyways, they even fought for the titles. 
They still come out separate, separate entrances, and they have no tag team name. So it's just, I mean, I know it's a makeshift tag team, but if you want to give these guys, and they don't look bad, they don't look bad at all together. I'm kind of, uh, kind of watching them closely because they may, they're not doing anything. They're doing crap. Let's be honest with it as single competitors. So this might have been a way to push them over, but man, you got to make them legit. You got to give them a name. You got to give them an entrance or something to make it worth the while. And then one other thing I want to mention, uh, they did have the number ones contender match, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus versus Cross, LA Knight and Woods. Boring. This was a mistake. It ended up with two winners, of course, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. However, instead of making it a triple threat match, which is eventually going to happen, it looks like, at WrestleMania, Sheamus and McIntyre are going to fight next week for a number one's contender match against each other in a singles match. Don't know why. I just I don't understand what they're doing with Cross. Carrying Cross, it just does not make any sense what they're doing with his career right now. I just I don't get it. He should have definitely won this match. And then they announced the first inductee into the 2023 Hall of Fame during SmackDown. None other than Ray Mysterio Jr. And I like that pick. Uh, you know, it's long overdue. Ray's been in the company over 20 years and, uh, he's, uh, he's been all over the place and he just, he well deserved. However, Dominic did show up, said they don't know why they're inducting a old man into the Hall of Fame. Well, Dominic, uh, buddy, that's who you don't induct young wrestlers into the Hall of Fame, any Hall of Fame, uh, you weirdo. Anyways, this caused, uh, Del, uh, Del Fantisma to, looks like the whole group was turning to becoming a face from a hill. Showed up and they actually fought against Judgment Day. Judgment Day won the match, which they should have. Um, one of the cool things was Rhea Ripley, uh, Del Fantisma's manager, I guess you could call her, Vega, uh, Rhea Ripley slammed her into the table. I thought that was cool. She was going to do a hurricane rod on us. Here's the thing. The only reason why I'm talking about this is afterwards, once again, Dominic pushes Ray down and Ray does not hit him. If you're going to have this match, I seem like I'm being a dead horse here. If you're going to have this match, Dominic, the Mysterios, during WrestleMania, you're going to have to pull the trigger and have them hit each and have Ray hit back. Or, I mean, you're running out of time. I don't know how many times I've said that this episode, but you're running out of time. I know you got a lot of stories, a lot of irons in the fire, but you need to start pulling the trigger on some of this stuff. Your thoughts on SmackDown, sir? Well, again, mixed opinions on the show as a whole. I mean, let's start with the uh, segment. I mean, uh, you know, Cody Rhodes came out to help Sami Zayn, like you said, against the Usos. Um, they do have to get Kevin Owens actively involved sooner than later because we're getting we're getting very close to WrestleMania. It's a home stretch. Um, again, I was really disappointed that there was no appearance by Bray Wyatt. So they're not building his feud with Bobby Lashley once again. So that was disappointing. I thought the Judgment Day um, Legato Del Fantasma match was decent. Judgment Day going over makes makes perfect sense. And honestly, Legato, they were not doing anything as heels. So if you want to make them baby faces at this point, um, I'm okay with that. Dominic and Rey Mysterio, yes. It, it, you know, the thing is, 
the things that Dominic has said to his father over the last so many months, the things he's done, I wouldn't have made it to WrestleMania to compete in a match against him. I would have been, my father would have put me six foot under by this point. I always hate that WWE wants to have Rey Mysterio as this guy who's reluctant to show aggression. Do you know how much more, how much better he would look if every now and then he would, he would just punch somebody back? I mean, it would just be so much better for his image, in my opinion. He's going to eventually. There's no question about it. But they're just dragging it out for way too long. Um, Number one's contenders. You know, and, uh, and you know, uh, well, yeah, there you go, uh, Kentucky guy. Um, I don't know what they're doing with Karrion Cross or L.A. Knight, to be perfectly honest, because those are the two guys, in my opinion, that should be pushed right now. No disrespect to Sheamus or Drew McIntyre. I like both of those guys, too, but... I always like seeing new people get thrown into the mix, and, uh, and you know, and of course Xavier Woods was also involved in the match. You know, there, so there's that. But um, yeah, I I know that this is going to end up being a triple threat match. Why you couldn't have just made it a five way and throw Karrion Cross and uh, L.A. Knight into the mix as well against Gunther? I think that would have made it more interesting. We've already seen Sheamus wrestle Gunther. If you were going to do a one-on-one match, Drew McIntyre versus Gunther, I might be a little bit more invested because we've never really seen that one-on-one match. But even then, I'm still like, what are you doing with LA Knight and Karrion Cross? Why are they not being featured on the WrestleMania card? Yeah, that just it frustrates me very much. And yeah, that's all I got to say about that. I'm kind of I'm kind of just hoping Gunther retains at WrestleMania yep, at this yep, point. Yep. Uh, yeah, I want him to. Re- I mean, too. I, I don't want to see Sheamus with the title or Drew McIntyre. Of course, I want Gunther to retain. Oh, and the tag team match. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's time to give Braun Strowman and Ricochet a tag team name. I've never been a fan of tag teams that don't have an official name. They're, they're just this wrestler and this wrestler. Um, but at least the Viking Raiders want a match. I mean, th- I mean, there you go. Maybe they're going to start building them up again. In the <laughs> and then one team. other thing I want to mention here, <laughs> and then we'll let you uh, then we'll have you, I know we're running out of time, we'll have you do uh, a headline and then I'll do one and we'll call it an episode. That'll leave some for uh, Monday's show. But um, one other thing I wanted to mention when it came to Raw was Vince McMahon was actually at Raw uh, this past week and he was in the gorilla. However, however, uh, he is still, he didn't give any creative decisions. He didn't do anything. They said he was there because him and John Cena have been close for a lot of years, and it gets a, and it just was a rare chance for them to meet up. Cena was spotted with McMahon at a restaurant in New York just a few months ago, so he was there. He was in the gorilla position all night during Raw, but he was just there, just there talking to people and seeing people he hadn't seen in a while. I know there was a bunch of people worried about that, but now this was. Uh, a lot of the talent felt that he'd be at a taping of Raw uh, since he returned to the executive chairman of the WWE Board of Directors in January. It was said that McMahon's physical appearance was what actually turned heads because he had dyed his hair and he has a small mustache, <laughs> which several talent describes as resembling of the Gomez Adams from the Adams family. His appearance was his appearance at the event was heavily discussed. One person in WWE who's known Vince McMahon for twenty years stated it was more drastic and a shock 
than him getting his head shaved that time. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys have seen the picture yet, but it's something else. It's very, very funny. Imagine, I know we've all seen them old Raw where Vince was commentator, jet black hair, sitting at the commentary table with Gorilla Monsoon, right? I know we've all seen those. Imagine him, that guy, looking like that, only with a bunch of wrinkles on his face and a little bitty, like, penciled-in mustache. This is what he looks like right now. So, <laughs> But anyways, I wanted to get that out there because I know a lot of people are talking, oh, is he back in creative? No, that wasn't the reason. That wasn't the reason why he was there. Uh, so before we go to your uh, last headline, sir, any thoughts on that? Vince McMahon being at Raw or his new look? Uh, I, I need to look up that picture because I uh, could never picture Vince McMahon with facial hair, number one. So, I, I, I yeah, I need to look up it that picture. It is one right, of the funniest right things I've seen. We're finished here. All right, sir, you have the next headline. Chris Jericho explains what he does backstage for AEW, storylines he's working on for other wrestlers. Before I launch into this uh, headline, uh, Kentucky guy, did you have I, any thoughts I didn't on the really, Rampage I results thought it was, for uh, this week? I haven't, I haven't watched it yet, So, but I know the matches they were having didn't really seem to interest me. But you can go ahead. Did you see anything interesting that happened? I mean, there was, there was going to be a match. I think it was uh, Kanosuke Takeshita versus um, I'm trying to blank it on who he was supposed to wrestle. That just goes to show you how much how important Rampage was. Anyway, <laughs> AEW star Chris Jericho appeared on Renee Paquette's The Sessions podcast. Jericho explained his other roles behind the scenes with AEW. Well, I think just being Chris Jericho backstage, like I have the most experience out of anybody in the company, with the exception of Dustin Rhodes, but also because I came in as kind of the flagship guy. I, I thought to myself in the beginning, how many stars can we make? Let's bring in Mox. Cody wasn't as big as he was. No one really knew who Kenny and the Bucks were. Hangman Page, Darby Allen, Jungle Boy, those were some of the guys that I can recall working with right out of the gate, like we have to get more plates spinning. So backstage, there's a lot of advice given out, a lot of listening, a lot of bartender listening, you know, I've got a problem with this, I've got a problem with that. There's a lot of working closely with Tony Khan, a lot of locker room leading, you know, especially over the last six months or so when we kind of had to take the reins back when there were a lot of bad publicity and a lot of uncertainty in the dressing room, <coughs> CM Punk, um, your man Danielson and myself were kind of like, we have to really take charge here because we're going to lose the dressing room. And if you lose the dressing room, you're effed, he says. There's a lot of that sort of thing going on. Basically everything you know, I think it's kind of almost like a real general. If he's seen a change in AEW over the last six, six months, he says, you know, that's the big question. To start giving that answer, one thing I always point out to a lot of people in the business, in the company and outside, is we're only three years old. I knew it was going to be like this from the moment we started, like the whole concept of EVPs. I knew that it wouldn't really mean anything because it's one boss, it's one vision, and we have to follow that vision. He, he kind of continues going uh, on for a while, but... Yeah, I mean, this makes a lot of sense because I've heard repeatedly that Jericho is looked at by his peers as a locker room leader. And, you know, listen, we, we can knock Chris Jericho for still being in the spotlight on TV and everything. But the fact of the matter is the man has a wealth of knowledge in professional wrestling. He's very beneficial working behind the scenes to any organization. And he's always been known as a locker room leader. He's not a guy 
who really likes to rub people the wrong way, but he also he's very outspoken too. He will speak his mind and tell you when something's not working. Um, so I, th- I think that this is great that he's been a, a locker room leader along with guys like Brian Danielson and John Moxley, and it, and he's probably going to continue doing that yeah, for as I long think, as he's uh, with AEW. You know, he's he's always been a leader, and I think that uh, I think he they need him now more than ever with everything going on. Uh, yeah. So I, I agree 100% with that. Uh, let's see. So the uh, final headline of this episode, I'll go ahead and do that real quick. Brian Danielson says it's time to go, time for him to go home. Tonight on AEW Dynamite, Brian Danielson spoke about his loss to the world champion MJF at AEW Revolution. The promo was taped on Sunday after the match showed Danielson talking about his loss and losing feeling in his arm. Danielson said that the thought of not being able to play with his kids, like MGF said, was more embarrassing than tapping out. Danielson ended it by saying that it's time for him to go home. It was it was not said that this was a re, is a retirement, but the impression given is that Danielson would be off TV for a while, perhaps until it's time for his next program, heading into Double or Nothing in May. Interesting. Uh, so right there shows you MJF got into his head before the match, and maybe it is time. I mean, he retired one time already due to injury and came back when he was with the WWE. So, you know, maybe it's time for the Ninja Dragon or whatever the crap his name is to uh, call it a day. I don't know. Your thoughts. I know that's your guy. Well, the American Dragon will go out on his terms at this point in his career. And him saying it's time to go home, he's saying it's time for him to go home and recharge a bit, to rethink what his next move's going to be in AEW. Rest assured, Brian Danielson will be back as good as ever. As far as who his next program is going to be with, that's hard, that's hard to predict. I think he'll be out of the world title picture for a little while because after you go 60 minutes and... Ultimately, whether you like the circumstances or not, ultimately come up short. I mean, uh, yeah, it is time to go home and kind of rethink the strategy a bit. And also, I mean, him referencing having no feeling in his arm, I mean, MJF did target the arm throughout the match, so that makes total sense. Um, but But I reiterate what I said before. Look, it was a great match, probably one of the best in AEW history, if I'm being perfectly honest. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, I look forward to seeing the American Dragon back. I know, I know you don't, Kentucky guy, but I look forward to seeing him again. Gotcha. And, and then one other thing uh, I want to mention, folks, so uh, because I like for you guys hearing uh, things like this from us rather than anywhere else first, <laughs> and that is, uh, yes, MVP is teasing on forming a new hurt business or a new faction. However, however, he could also be trolling. So there is a, a picture going around, uh, and I think this would be a heck of a good faction if it was to be true. There's a picture going around, and MVP says he's just been talking business with some names backstage at Raw. And the picture was of MVP, Omos, the Street Profits, and Carmelo Hayes from NXT. Now, of course, Carmelo Hayes is set to take on Braun Breaker for the uh, NXT title on uh during wrestlemania so at their stand i think it's called stand and deliver 
So anyways, who knows? Who, who knows if this is, if this has got any kind of water or what? We know that he's been trying to get Bobby Lashley to reunite with the Hurt Business. We've seen him talking to Cedric and Sheldon Benjamin. Now, do not get me wrong. If he could get Carmelo Hayes and the Street Profits along with Omos, that's going to be a much stronger faction than Lashley and Benjamin and Alexander. So a lot stronger. So it could be great. But once again, MVP's known to troll. So who knows? Who knows? You got any thoughts on that? It would definitely be a fresh spin on the Hurt Business. Although, once again, I thought that the plan, based on what's been happening in recent months, that we that the Street Profits were going to split up. Maybe that's not the case, and we're going to see the Street Profits wrestle as heels in the near future. But again, th- th- there's no there, th- this has not been confirmed that there's a new Hurt Business being formed. This could very well, like you said, Kentucky guy. Because he is very MVP, good at that. If you guys remember, getting them after the people. Super Bowl, he trolled Goldberg forever because Goldberg had some... Uh, Things to say about Rihanna's horrible performance during the halftime show. So, yeah, MVP is known to troll. So, we'll see. But that's all I've got for this episode, sir. How about yourself? All right, guys. So, you've been listening that's to all I have for this Against show, Kentucky Mad guy. Wrestling Podcast. With your hostess, Donnie Cage. And the Kentucky guy. Hey, thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to check out our other episodes that we've uploaded as well. And as always, God bless and God bless America. Thank you all.